Uh, hey, it's Russ Bainer, the World Playing Public Radio. This is Game Designers Workshop. We haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, and Caleb's not going to be on this one because he's busy working. Uh, but we do have special guest Jeff Barber here. Hey, everybody. Uh, because I figure Jeff's in town. And he's uh, going to run Blue Planet for us later, which will be on the Actual Play podcast at some point in the near future. Uh, but before then, he has been working on Upwind, which we talked a lot about last year, uh, and I wanted to talk to him to see how it's going and what kind of things he's uh, sort of learned about Upwind and how it's changed, Or because uh, you're also writing a campaign for it as well. Correct. And well, I'm very interested in that because I'm going to be write, writing, a, uh, writing a campaign for it later, and I kind of want to learn from your mistakes. Uh, All right. Well, there's plenty of those. Yeah. And I also have uh, – I wrote a micro game. Uh, called Weird Trip, and I'll talk a little bit about that uh, as kind of a fun little thing. But first off, let's let's get to the big thing, uh, Upwind. So how's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, the Kickstarter was um, much a bigger success than I expected. Um, we ended up with just shy of about 35000 or so. Um, yeah. The uh, backer kit is still open and, and going, and that's adding a little bit. Um, the response was super positive. Everyone... Uh, it, you know, not a game for everybody, but those that were interested and backed it have had a lot of good questions and comments, and it's been mm-hmm. fun um, kind of building that community and interacting with them. Um, and they're all looking forward to it. We've had a lot of people already start um, their own games or their own playtests. Um, and uh, are you kind of surprises from those playtests, or any um, any really cool ones you want to share? Not, I haven't gotten surprised because of the. I, I don't know if they're still working on them. I, I've opened the. So I'm working on this campaign book that was mm-hmm. part of the actual um, Kickstarter, not the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've opened those files to a number of different people who wanted to run it. We, we offered it up as a um, mm-hmm. way to crowdsource the, the playtesting for it. And um, several people held up their hands. And they're all theoretically running it right now. But I haven't heard a lot back from them. Um, I've learned... Have you set a deadline yet for feedback? Um, it's passed. <laughs> um, but really it was like, get as much of this done as you can because I'm, I'm working yeah. on, I'm trying to get this finished by, by, um, really the end of March. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I've learned that play testers are enthusiastic, but don't really follow up on, on getting you feedback. And I think there's probably lots of reasons for that, but uh, yeah. I think they're oftentimes their reach exceeds their grasp. If you're a playtester and you're listening to this, you know, maybe something better late than ever. Is that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Better uh, late than ever is awesome. So send, send that feedback in. Because so the way content. things work these days, it's easy enough to change, especially um, yeah. smaller things. But if they're critical, we can still mm-hmm. change them in progress. Because the book is just now, it's it's being edited? At the core point? book is with the proofreader now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the campaign book is still on my... Um, Google Drive, <laughs> uh, but it, it, the first draft is virtually done, um, and then that will go into editing and then, and then proofing as well. Okay, so there's still time for people yeah. to yeah. send in their feedback. Um, so, and this is and this is the kind of thing I'm really interested in because um, as one of the stretch goals, uh, the Three Beasts campaign, which I ran on RPPR Actual Play last year. Uh, is going to be, I am going to write, uh, it, at least in theory, <laughs> a campaign for it. Um, it better be more than theory. <laughs> it better be more than a theory. Uh, so, 
but because it's a brand new game and there's no it's not like Call of Cthulhu or D&D where there are basically kind of style guides in the sense that there are you know in other games you can look at what's been done and right, like, established formats yeah established formats established conventions uh, and even in even if it hasn't been published a lot of games are pretty similar to one another at least in terms of like approach but uh, as we've talked before on the podcast Upwind is quite different because it's like you cover way more territory in one game than you do in a typical RPG. Uh, you know, you you like I, I've said before, you could run an entire an uh, an older style campaign like Massive Night of Lothotep in like five or six games mm-hmm. um, because of how much you can you resolve entire counters in one play. Right. Um, and obviously, so how has been how has that been different from? And you've also written a lot for other games. Obviously, your own game, Blue Planet. Um, how has it been different, and like, how? What have you learned about writing for Upland, or how, what have you what have you decided on that? Well, um, there's lots of different sort of versions of answers to that question. I guess. <laughs> uh, we'll take your time. Yeah. One of the things that sort of defines this particular campaign is that I wanted to do a specific thing mm-hmm. um, within sort of the the canon of Upwind. Um, I wanted it to take characters from the time that they're recruited uh, as children mm-hmm. to be trained as knights. All the way through to sort of a a potentially world changing, canon changing, setting changing event. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do that was because I wanted to be able to sort of write about all of the different ways that the game could be played, or all the different sort of threads that could be put in a campaign. But I also know that games tail out pretty quickly, especially sort of a a, a niche game like Upwind, mm-hmm. and it's not going to support a line of even ten books, let alone fifty right. books. Um, so I wanted to kind of Round the beginning and the end, and have sort of a complete arc for the right. for the game. And so the the campaign does, if that's the way the players want to go, change the world. Um, so I've had to keep that in mind as I've been writing it. But as you just said, it covers a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of ground to cover in the story. So um, there's a kind of density of events that you have to write if you're going to go from sort of a beginning like that to an end like that. And that's controlled a lot of sort of what I've been writing about. Originally, it was supposed to be about forty to 45,000 words. I think I'm closing on 70 now. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I don't know. There, there are pieces that can be removed from that to bring the word count down. Um, my experience with the with uh, Stuart Wick, my publishing partner, is probably going to be like, oh, that's cool. Let's keep going. Let's make it bigger. Um, but there are um, we are producing a, a hard... Uh, print copy of it, so mm-hmm. there are going to be some limitations. Well, the marginal costs for additional pages, I mean... It's right, so I'm bad. assuming it's yeah. not going to be that big a deal. Yeah. Um, I don't know I how... I mean, obviously, more artwork. Yeah, but as a campaign book, yeah. it's not necessarily going to have the density of art that we would have in the core book anyway. But um, So that's those two things have sort of been um, in, in competition with the actual structure of writing an Upwind campaign, because mm-hmm. I wanted to cover that arc of, of story. I wanted to be able to change the world and kind of give um, a tour de force of the setting. Mm-hmm. So those two things define sort of the direction I was going. Um, but then having to write um, in, in, a, in a new kind of style, like you were saying, yeah. um, has also been a big part of, of what's dictated that outcome. Uh, I find that very interesting that you're uh, acknowledging because, you know, you look at older role-playing games and uh, especially like from the 90s and earlier, they, they do have like, here's the setting and here's the adventure, but nothing in this adventure will change the setting or well, will only minorly change the mm-hmm. setting because the, the idea back then, obviously, yeah, as you mentioned, there's, there's going to be a game line and we can't screw up continuity for your precious little ca- one campaign. Right. How dare you? Right. Um, and 
you know, except in like the only times you could do that is if you were the only example I can think of when you, when they did that back then is when they're ending the game line, like mm-hmm. when they're ending. Well, second, they want to reboot something a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like I, I can remember like their their the adventure in D and D was die back and die or whatever, where they were ending second edition D and D to go into third edition D and D. Like, yeah, no, now you can wreck everything. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, World of Darkness did that too. Oh, World of Darkness was really bad about that in terms of like, you cannot change the setting. But I think they ended yeah. like the original. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Guyana or whatever. Uh, there's, yeah, there was the, the In Judgment or the Judgment Times mm-hmm. books. There's like, here's how you end the game. But uh, as we've done on uh, What the Heck, we actually had, um, we went through an adventure set in, midi- middle a- in the Middle Ages and they say here, it's about the vampire history. Note that the players can do nothing to change a vampire history. Mm. So screw you if you try. You right. know, just override your. Well, that's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like so, I said, I, I don't. I'm not sure. But you're designing the exact opposite, which yeah. is like, here is this beautiful set piece. Do what you want to it, and here's how you can totally wreck it. And you know, like you're designing something to be destroyed in a way, or to be altered. Altered. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Uh, yeah, By, no. Or destroyed, as, yeah. as it played, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That, well, I can address that in a second. But the yeah. the um, the idea is that we've got a, a game that I think um, ultimately most gaming groups, in my experience, play a game and mm-hmm. then move on. Yeah. Right. They're they're. Or they are yeah. dedi- or they're dedicated to their one game and that's all they play. Like D and D players, they a lot play of them, that's all they play. Twenty is year campaigns. They, they may change the campaign once in a while, or whatever, but it's still D and D, and they're going to want to keep going. And, that, going and, and those groups, yeah, in my experience, they tend to like they like having their own campaign setting that they can have mm-hmm. history to mm-hmm. because it's really meaningful. Like, oh, we were here eight years. And it's ago. fun. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of game groups that. Let's play an Eclipse Phase campaign, mm-hmm. and then let's play a Delta Green campaign. And then <laughs> Literally, play, RPP. Right, RPP. and that's that's kind of like I like to play, and so yeah. I, I like to write like I like to play. So I can see a group saying, let's play a couple of one-shots, maybe we'll play a little campaign, and then we're probably done, at least for a while. Yeah. But um, in as much as this campaign sort of gives the players a chance to alter the world, there's um, a, a kind of limitation on that. So there's, a, there's an epilogue to the campaign that... Um, follows a choice that the characters have to make mm-hmm. at the end of the last chapter. Sure. Um, and I have to say, I'm not sure how that's going to play out because the two uh, playtest campaigns that I'm currently running of it uh, have just gotten to that point. So they're going to have to make the decision in the next session, and then we'll do the epilogue, and we'll see how, how it actually Interesting. works. Interesting, okay. So um, it's not going to be complex or anything, mm-hmm. but it basically picks one of three general... Um, Directions that the setting can go. Okay. Um, kind of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Status quo, end of the universe, yeah. sort of like... Or new, bright, new, brave new, new world. New world order, right? Yeah, yeah. new world order. Yeah. Um, and so a, a group that intends to, you know, let's say they've become dedicated upwind players, they, mm-hmm. they will probably pick one of those endings if they want continuity in their stories to... Um, sort of let them do that. Yeah. Others that are like, this game sucks, we never want to play it again, we'll probably clearly pick um, the the darker ending. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the joy of a role-playing game is you can pretend like it never happened and start from the beginning again, too, yeah. if you want to just... Alternate universe else. ending, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not planning on, on Upwind being so heavily supported um, mm-hmm. because of that, and so I feel like it's okay to do that sort of arc. Yeah, I feel, uh, I mean, uh, sort of a little about the game I was designing, I I, I, wanted, I feel like it, 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 we have enough games that are 
like this is the game that you play forever or this is the game you know the big phone book size game and i feel a lot of the the interesting things are people who realize you, you have a, you know you have a wealth of games to play and so just this game is okay to be played for a little while and then you move on um or for you know five sessions or mm-hmm. whatever this is not the D and D. This is the one game you play for the rest of your life, you know, or for the majority of your life. Um, I feel, yeah, that, I feel that that's a current game design trend. I feel, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Uh, they were both kind of thinking. About the there's, same so many, thing. there's so many good games out there. Like, yeah. why well, just play one? You know. Yeah, I mean, I look at my own bookshelf, and there's just like I have ten games I can think of off the top of my head that I want to play and record for the podcast, and I just haven't had time to because there's a lot of effort in running a new game. You know, you have to learn the rules. Oh, sure. you, have, you have to teach the rules, yep. and then you, there's all convince the group that they yeah. that they want to play it. <laughs> yeah, and then and you've already done that work for. X number of previous games, you could just fall back on that and not have to put all that extra work in. Um, and so I feel, yeah. And so upwind, I feel, uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea, uh, to make it less more like, yeah, it's okay to, to change around. Um, so in terms of actually talking about the design mm-hmm. of like the account, cause again, as we mentioned, you know, upwind is about encounters, right. you play it once. How is that affecting your writing? Like, um, well, in a, in a couple of ways, um, one uh, a fourth sort of leg of this campaign table, whatever metaphor yeah. you want to use, is that I wanted it to also be a source book. Yeah. So you know there are any any campaign I guess could be chopped into pieces and used as source material for a game. Um, it's harder, but it, but yeah, it, in some games it's with this intention, yeah. I'm I'm actually writing. Well, for example, let's say that the players meet um, a ship. A ship crew mm-hmm. uh, and their ship. I'll do a call-out box that yeah. describes the the key members of the crew and something about the ship and their little bit of history. So that could be used. You can pull that by a game master, right? Yeah. So they encounter a new island or a new town or a new creature. I'll do a call-out box. So there's mm-hmm. a couple, well, probably two, three dozen of these call-out boxes that you know, when cobbled together, could be um, elements their, of their, their their own their own standalone yeah. source material for mm-hmm. people, places, and things. There's a, a uh, section um, called Aerial Encounters. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily random encounters, but um, the game is written as they travel kind of around the, the setting. Um, and instead of insisting that you know this encounter happens here, I've created an appendix of encounters for the light, encounters for the twilight, twilight frontier, and encounters for the dark. And... Game masters can pick and choose which one's appropriate for that segue mm-hmm. as they travel from A to B, or they could just use those as you know encounters in their own in their yeah. own games. So I've tried to build that feature into the into mm-hmm. the campaign writing, um, so that it, I don't know probably ten to twenty thousand words of source book standalone source book maybe could be extracted from it. Are those going to be like clearly delineated? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, like yeah. there'll be a, a for the callout boxes. They're not going to be. They're going to be in the text where they occur, mm-hmm. but they're going to be easy to flip through and identify. And we probably even have a page of page references so that people okay. can do it quickly. So the appendix, the, the book says, "Hey, these are your yeah. standalone elements." And the appendix yeah. itself, um, with the, the different kinds of aerial encounters, is going to be a separate separate mm-hmm. section. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, then, then the other component of of that structure is that. Um, there's a conceit in the game where we don't we don't require, but we we suggest that game masters use flashbacks mm-hmm. as a way to build um, sort of 
history for the for the characters mm-hmm. and to foreshadow what's coming next. Yeah, um, and give them uh, cash card bonus cards for mm-hmm. for similar future events. Just as a, a uh, I find it a fun and a framing device and a mm-hmm. nice a nice narrative device. But um, I got some feedback actually from. Um, one of the playtesters who was diligent uh, <laughs> said that his group doesn't really like flashbacks. Yeah. So instead of just having them occur in the text, I pulled them out as a separate uh, as a separate uh, chapter zero, mm-hmm. so that um, they still want to play that material. But now it's just instead of um, flashbacks, it's a series of uh, single encounters that that trace their um, rec- from their recruitment to their graduation from the academy. Yeah. But in the text where they originally occurred. As flashbacks, they're titled and marked and referenced by number. So if you want to run it with the flashbacks in place, you get to that number. You look it up in the appendix. So it's either a five-chapter story with uh, with uh, inserted flashbacks, or it's a six-chapter story, the first chapter being this sort of like um, moment-to-moment montage of life mm-hmm. from recruitment to graduation. Okay, so you can kind of run them. Yeah, right. so you can run yeah. it different ways for, yeah. for different styles. Or you can totally skip it if you want to. You can skip it entirely, and it has no um, it just means narrative bearing. Yeah. It just means that the campaign is shorter, and your characters don't necessarily build their, their collective yeah. background as well. You can also use it, I guess, um, similarly to the Aerial Encounters. I need a flashback for my for my game. Mm-hmm. I'll just pull one out of here. Yeah. yeah. So that's So that's... The, the book is trying to serve multiple intentions yeah. um, in its structure. I hope, <laughs> crossing, crossing fingers here, I hope, I hope it ends up doing that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that with the Three Beasts because, I mean, the, the, your, your campaign is obviously more meant as the introductory thing. Like, here is how you run Upwind and here is the beginning of the campaign. Uh, Three Beasts is more of a standalone. This could be run after, uh, assuming the continuity doesn't change. Right, well, yeah, yeah the... the um, as we talked about yeah. in, in planning, I've actually written in a place. Yeah. I, right now in my draft, it's in big red text. It says, this is where Ross Payton's Three Beasts campaign could go yeah. if you want to link them together and, and run yeah. them. In fact, your, um, I don't know how much we want to give away here, but your assassins. Well, oh, you've already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already run Your assassins, yeah. right? So yeah. your assassins sort of invaded my campaign. <laughs> yeah. And the fun part of that was that there was no. There was no. They didn't know anything about your campaign, so they didn't know what these guys were doing. Yeah. Um, and so they didn't understand their agenda or where they were coming from. And they got they confused them with the agents that were already in my campaign. And so yeah. it was a nice sort of uh, <laughs> way to lead them astray with some red herrings. And yeah, yeah. dangerous red herrings. Yeah. Um, and that was that turned out to be really fun. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. We still haven't uh, – the, the campaigns will be interlinked or that, that you could have the elements. But you could run them um, – the way, yeah, it's more like three prophecy or the uh, the prophecy than three beasts in general, I think. Uh, but would be, I think, the generic kind of opening. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's however you want to do it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I'm going to be doing flashbacks at least using the same way because, um, for one thing, there's only some of la- like unless every single lesson they ever had at the school was like, oh, appropriate later on, you know, like right. I think there would be, there's, there's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you kind of have to write them. Like I, it turns out writing the flashbacks. Yeah. I mean, it's easy enough to write one, but they don't always fit the way the game actually plays if you've yeah. pre-written them. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have an idea of what part of their history you want to flashback to. Yeah. But then let the player's own characters decide um, yeah. So, for example, Faust is playing in one of the the uh, campaigns, and he his premise for his character was that he had had a her his character she had had a uh, 
we never really defined it whether it was just a best friend or a girlfriend or, mm -hmm. or something that he had had to abandon um, mm -hmm. when he was younger. And so he had a nay cash about, you know, never leave somebody behind kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It just plagued his memory and he was making a, a big sort of sympathetic plot point out of it. Yeah. Well, it was convenient because when they went back, when we did a bunch of flashbacks with this character. So the character sort of existed in this, in our thread, but then they ended up back where he abandoned her. And of course they ended up running into each other because how can you let that kind of oh, yeah. bait hang loose out there? Right. Um, and so having established the relationships with, with, um, her in these flashbacks made it much more exciting and poignant when they finally met up again. Um, but I could never have pre-written that because I didn't know what his character was going to bring to the story with this, with this relationship. So that was really fun. Cool. Um, but a, a, re a reason why writing them in advance is mm -hmm. not necessarily the best way to go. Now it's also interesting, um, for writing for Upwind because Upwind, you don't like in other role playing games, most other role playing games, NPCs have these things called stats, yeah. you know, uh, like in Pathfinder, you'll have a page or something yep. like that. I love Even Delta writing Green. for Upwind yeah. for that very reason. Yeah. But that, well, I mean, in, in one way it's very easy, but in the other way, that means you have to write more actual text <laughs> instead of filling it with stats. Yeah. Well, I found that actually I, I weigh, I woefully underestimated how many words it was going to take to tell the story I wanted oh, to. Yeah. I think I was telling you at lunch yeah, yeah. today. Um, original plan was forty to forty-five thousand, and mm -hmm. it's right now we're closing on seventy. So um, there's a there's I, I don't know if it's my verbosity or just I wanted to tell too much story and what I thought I could could do. Well, I don't think it's unique to just because it's yeah. upwind. I think it's because I'm trying to trying to create a world-spanning story. Well, it's also you're telling a, like multiple variants of the story, you know, like you, you have to like, oh, if the players do this, then this is going to have repercussions later on, I imagine. A little bit of that. A little bit? I, I, at this point, there's not enough of that. Okay. Um, i got to be honest. <laughs> so it's, feeling, <laughs> it's feeling, it's not feeling railroady because upwind is hard to railroad because the players get to sort of define the outcomes. Yeah. But it's very easy for them to go um, off on a, on a, an unrelated mm -hmm. pursuit if they choose to do so. Yeah. I think what I'm ending up being forced to do by word count is let the game masters kind of handle that when they do. I identify places where it may happen. Yeah. And I talk about ways to get them... If you blow up this outpost, it's not right. going to be there right. later on. But, you know, inherent in the setting... Or, sorry, inherent in the mechanics, you, you have to make sure you're setting stakes that don't mm -hmm. chop off the end of the scenario. Yeah. So are, are there, is there a lot of that, like, setting stake material? There is. In fact, I, I'd be really curious. I haven't actually done a word count on it. But every time there is an encounter of substance, yeah. um, I write p potential stakes. And yeah. I'll say these are the stakes because it's going to vary by what the characters want to do and this can do. This is what the story is. But yeah. these are stakes that... Um, Stakes like this could be suggested, and I've got a little system that I've worked out for it where for the player stakes, there's player stakes and there's moderator stakes, and for the the one that is sort of the basic level, like here's the minimum consequence, I'm just using a, a plus symbol, mm -hmm. and it may end up being something else in the layout, but at least in the, in the yeah. draft, and then there's just um, bullet, bullet, bulleted stakes for other suggestions or yeah. for escalation. Sometimes there's an alternate suggestion, like you could do this or you could do this, and they're not really related, so maybe two pluses. The same with the moderator stick. Right. So if you're playing it right out of the book, there's always a suggestion, and there's always at least two or three escalations as they raise the stakes. Yeah. Um, or suggestions on ways to make it complicated. And it's turned out that that's been a, both a fun and a gratifying part of the writing because it really allows me to help 
people generate stakes that are beyond success and failure. Yeah. And that can add to sort of the canon and add to somebody's understanding of how to run the game. Mm-hmm. So the so the campaign book in that regard is is a tutorial in how to do the core mechanic of the Q system, which has been, I think, kind of a benefit to, to yeah. the book that I hadn't anticipated. Because uh, that's the trickiest part with it, is like, how do you define, like, Q system is giving explicit control over what's been implicit every in every other game, and that players aren't used to that, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so, sort of, that also, I, I would imagine, provides guidelines for GMs to adjudicate player stakes, I, I say, like... Uh, does it? I mean, there's a, I think there's a couple where I suggest that the players may may um, be opposed in whatever yeah. they, they want. Um, I don't think there's a lot that are written into the to the campaign. But but by reading those stakes, the GM I can imagine would be like, sure. oh, don't I should not let the players do this, right. you know, right. uh, because that would be really bad later yeah. on. Uh, that would but, screw things yeah. up. Um, but yeah, but by setting the stakes, you're kind of also giving them sort of lessons in storytelling. Like, here's what would be interesting, dramatic, and here's not. So yeah, much. and I've tried to be um, diverse in the kinds of stakes. Yeah, not uh, the same kind of And things. really stretch them as, as much yeah. as I can. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the original playtest for uh, RPPR, I think some of the best ones were like, oh, yeah, you can succeed if you marry this, you know, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. marry this woman, and sure. that kind of thing. And that, that turned out to have lots of payoff dividends later on, too. Well, so. I'll, I'll give you a piece of advice as yeah. you go into writing Three Beasts. Um, I, I have been very tempted. So you're in the writing flow, and you're telling yeah. the story, and you're making like the plot points and whatever. And then you get to a place where you got to put stakes. Mm-hmm. It kind of like becomes a different sort of writing. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the I have felt many times, oh, I'm just going to jump ahead and, and keep writing what I was already writing about, yeah. and I'll get, go back and write the stakes later. Yeah. But I've discovered that if you write more than two or three stakes at a time, they start to sound the same. Or they, uh, they, right? okay. So my advice would be, when you get to the stakes, even though you're, you want to keep going with the idea... Write that stakes first because if you save them all for the end, I, I think that the diversity, for me anyway, has suffered and it becomes really laborious to mm-hmm. try and do that. So very early on, I realized that and I forced myself to write the stakes as they occur. In the, I know, I know the exactly what you mean. Once you're, once you're writing, even like I'm writing uh, material for another game company right now, and I, I'm keep I notice I'm keep following the same kind of. I mean, mine are more like using the same kind of phrases over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, polities and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, I need to vary that. And like something, and it, it, it's like it's in structure. Some some polities do this. Some polities, many polities do this though, you know. And, and it's just like, oh, can't do that. Right. Um, so yeah, that that that's a really good point because yeah, it's easy to fall into that rhythm and get repetitive. Um, and, and it also gets really sort of a tedious in that same structure over and over again. Yeah, and and definitely this game is all about like having variance in uh, stakes, like having variety in different kind of storytelling beats um, in this. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting to see, compare up one to like actual like, you know, uh, story beats in like a, in a Hollywood script kind of thing in terms of like, you know, like how Hollywood movies all have the, the heroic journey, mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of arc, uh, Joseph Campbell kind of thing. It would be interesting to compare uh, do you say yeah, my wife is an English teacher, and uh, okay. that's one of the things in her junior English class that they talk about all the time. So, oh yeah, hero's journey constantly from our students. Well, I mean, so. like if you get to any Hollywood scriptwriting right. advice book, that's all right, that they right. talk about because that's all apparently that's the only folklore <laughs> who ever existed. <laughs> apparently, yeah, and he's totally right. He's not got anything wrong. Well, that's another thing though. <laughs> Drifting off topic. Um, well, that's cool. So, in terms of deadlines or schedule, like, uh, do, you, do you have any updates? Or um, well, we're we're on track, basically. Um, I I I know that 
Kickstarter projects are so notorious for being delivered late, so I really wanted... Than, well, the one project that is five or six years late at this point, yeah, you're yeah. better than that one. Yeah, well, I wanted to make sure that we were doing our best to avoid that complication. <laughs> um, and so we would sort of estimate deadlines for different parts of the production process, and then I would add a couple of weeks. And then when we got to the, you know, did the math out to when the, we could do delivery, I said, okay, let's add yeah. two months. Yeah. So I don't know if that's enough, but, but right now it looks that's like... That's a good cushion. Yeah, it looks like... I mean, our, our, our delivery day is supposed to be October of, of this year. Um, with the core book in final proofreading now and the final draft of the, the um, campaign book will be done in the next two weeks probably. Nice. Um, it feels like that's a reasonable deadline. I'd be great if we could make Gen Con. I, I don't think we're going to make Gen Probably Con. not. Well, you might have the PDF out by Gen Con. That's well, but I don't... I, that's another thing. I don't want to be one of those companies that says, hey, great backers, yeah. we're going to sell this at Gen Con, and because you're not here, you're okay. not going to get yours until you know it, it ships, and that right. just feels uncool. Well, I mean, the PDF, like just the PDF. Yeah, we could distribute the PDF. Because once you send the print book out to the printer, you might as well. So, oh, yeah, that'll be that'll be yeah. distributed early. Yeah. Right, right. That Yeah, I'm talking about the actual, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know. That's true. That's a good point. Copy. I mean, yeah. You could do a thing where if you're a backer going to Gen Con. Uh, yeah, if we had them in our hands by then. I just yeah. don't know if we'll have them in our hands by yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, if they, had, if they had been shipped from, yeah. from fulfillment by Gen Con, yeah. I would feel a lot better about giving them away at Gen Con or, yeah. se- or selling them at Gen Con. Yeah, if they're, if they're yeah. on in Excuse transit. Me, we're not giving them away. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but if they're in transit, time. I mean, yeah. that seems much fairer than... Yeah. Than, um, if you could always do a away. contest uh, for, for backers <laughs> at Gen Con. No, I, 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 this is totally off topic a little bit, but I do remember hearing a story about, um, I think it was Monty Cook who gave away a copy of Tolis. Uh, do you remember that? It's, I remember Tolis. I don't remember the contest. Uh, the, the Tolis, of course, is a third ed D&D campaign setting that is like more than a phone book size. It's like yeah, you seven, can kill an orc with it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very thick hardcover book. I've seen it's It's literally... It's 800 pages. It's 800 pages. It's like six inches in depth, you know. <laughs> um, and the contest was to be the person who could hold... Uh, a copy out of Tolis with a straight arm with a straight arm <laughs> one handed longer than anybody else and they gave it like whoever did it best by 2 o'clock on Sunday or something they got the book wow. so uh, I think that's the story uh, uh, so, well if it isn't we need to do it with some other project right? yeah yeah you need to yeah let's let's add 100,000 words you know uh, just <laughs> for the two copies <laughs> yeah two copies one in each arm there you go um, but anyways, um, so look forward to it. Uh, we'll have more. We'll obviously do more playtests or a- actual plays of this uh, on RPBR. Uh, probably as it gets closer to publication, you know, be like, hey, buy this book. <laughs> um, but I also want to give an update. Um, I've been working because uh, everyone always asks me about Ruin, you know, because that that's the game I do want to do, and I really do want to do it, but. Uh, I have been stuck in freelance work. Uh, I have a project. The project privileged it, to be well. It, I can't say it's from Post Human Studios. It's an Eclipse Face thing that I'm working on. I can't say what it is yet. Um, but after that, I'm going to be writing Three Beasts, which I can't talk about because we've already play tested it. Um, so after that, uh, I, I do plan to work. Start work on Ruin, but I do want to sort of have a palate cleanse. You know, I've been working on an RPG so long. Um, and, I, and before then, I'd um, after I got back from my brew trip, I worked on Red Markets uh, for mm. months, and uh, so I've been working on other people's games for like you know for the last six months, and I'm kind of you know, and I'll be working on it for another two months. So we almost like almost 
a year by the time I'm done with all this stuff, probably. Uh, so I kind of want a palette cleanse before I really dive back into an RPG. Um, so I have an idea for a card game um, that is a two-player competitive game. Uh, that I, I I don't have enough of the rules figured out yet that I really want to talk about it, but there is a micro game that I wrote. Uh, it's only like a thousand words long that I do want to talk about because um, it's called Weird Trip. I sent a copy to Jeff so mm-hmm. you can talk about That's it. That's very cool. Um, and the idea, I, the reason I wrote it was one, just take a, a quick break from writing Eclipse Face stuff because I was kind of getting burned out a little about it. And what really motivated me was I saw I don't you probably didn't see this but on social media someone posted a two page role playing game called Criminal Bear and it was written on a notebook uh, it was done at some con and it's basically you are a bear who is also a criminal and so yeah, the one with the little illustrations yeah 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 oh you did see it did you link to it I think so I don't think I found it myself but I remember seeing it recently so it must have been yeah. what you sent me um And it's just a very simple little game. You know, you're a bear. Each type of bear has a different special skill. You're trying to rob. uh, It's a honey heist. You're at HoneyCon. You know, and your skills are criminal and bear. And it's it's a simple little thing. I thought it was fun. But I was like, oh, I could write a two-page little game. And I came with the idea, and it's called Weird Trip. Um, And the basic idea behind Weird Trip is that you it's a storytelling game, kind of like The Quiet Year or something like that. But instead of describing a place, it's describing a journey. So it's you have a traveler, and uh, and everyone takes turns. So it's like a G, it, I, I kind of saw it as a way of breaking up the role of GM and having everyone get to be GM in different things. Because one person role plays as the traveler for each stop along the journey, and then one person is the postcard, which describes the place and the reason why the traveler stopped at that place. You know, there's some sort of conflict at each stop. You know, is the someone blocking the way? Is the is the traveler? Does the traveler need something? Is the traveler doubting themselves? Uh, and then there's the map, which provides. Uh, resolution. The traveler can make two or three choices. They can go this way or they can do this, you know, but each choice has a consequence. And then there are secondary roles that are sort of minor. You know, maybe there's something weird about each stop. There's, Or maybe there's a souvenir the traveler can find. Um, so, you play, so any thoughts on it, Jeff? Yeah. I, I really liked it. Um, I, I, um, I'm a big fan of Quiet Year. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of um, Fall of Magic. Have you played that? No. Tell me. Uh, it was a Kickstarter... I don't know, quite a while ago. And actually, right down the street from us in, in Tacoma, so it's got an idea. But it's a canvas scroll mm-hmm. that rolls out, and you actually roll it out as you play it, and it reveals a, a fantasy map. And okay. it's silk screened onto the canvas. Wow. Um, and you have these metal coins, and you just move them from stop to stop. Mm-hmm. And at each stop, there are choices to make. Yeah. They're they're in the silk screen, so you, you know, roll a die for an indication of which of the ones happen. Mm-hmm. But you have to add your description and your actions based on those prompts for each yeah. location. And you can stay and move around the sublocations at each major stop. And you're essentially just collaboratively putting the story together. You are the party of the Magus, or sorry, uh, Magus who's, being, mm-hmm. who's going to the West to retire. Okay. Um, to the to the land where magic begins. Yeah. As, as magic. They're not elven land, you know. Right, right, right. Well, magic's going out of the world, and he's, okay. he's, go, he's going away to sort of fade into the ether or whatever. Yeah. It's not really clear, but it's not supposed to be clear because you're supposed to be able to tell the story as you mm-hmm. go. And you just follow the map, taking all the different... Interesting. ...routes you want to go, and then you finish the game. And then the next time you play, maybe you take a different character, you do a different route. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of customization to the characters as you go. Yeah. But it felt very much... Like that without the map. 
Yeah. Right? Because at it, each location, you're feeding in the same sort of narrative elements. And that game is uh, super fun, but it's also... There's a lot of pieces to it, and it's pretty expensive yeah, because of it that. Like, yeah. Um, and this seems like a, a um, more variable version because you could have uh, a weird trip in space. You could have a weird trip on yeah, a sailing that, ship. You could yeah. have a weird trip underground. Um, whereas Fall of Magic, it's the same trip, essentially, yeah. every time. Same map every time. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it, With Weird Trip, I specifically wrote it in sort of a... a in what I hoped is a neutral way, so, uh, so I don't specify... Anything about genre, era, or place, uh, and if I can one play test I've done so far. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of era. It could be tall, different. Yeah, different. All I say is time of day. It's like what time of day is it when you get there, um, and at each stop. And uh, the one play test we did, um, like Bill described the traveler as being this punk rocker uh, lady, and then Aaron said, "Yeah, and she gets to this asteroid, and there are these obelisks here." And I'm like, "All right, so we're in space now, okay." And then later on. We is like you can you're at the Diamond Palace, but you can go to a Denny's and <laughs> like okay it survives the fall yeah yeah well and then I say what's the weird thing about the Denny's well there's well um, it's in space it looks like it's Cleveland outside the window it looks like you're in Cleveland so at a point we were like was this really a science fiction adventure or science fiction adventure or was this lady like just LSD trip yeah well yeah was she was she on drugs like or was she just having a bad trip and we kind of like we we kind of waffled is this? And there's like now nah, it's crazy sci-fi stuff. Well, that's the kind uh, of genius of it. It could be uh, uh, very surreal if you want yeah. it to be very easily. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, because the idea I do have for it, if I, I do like it, and I, I had another idea this morning. I have no idea how I'm going to work it out. Uh, is to come up with a variant of the rules for camera phones, uh, like uh, phones with cameras and social media. So the idea would be some version of of the same game where you take turns. Each, you know, describing a traveler on their journey and what they're doing, uh, but you use photo, yeah, photos you take from your camera or from your phone uh, to do that. So you could play it over Snapchat or something like that. So uh, especially if like one person or all the people are on a trip, you know, at an actual road trip, uh, you could take photos of, you know, weird things you see along the way and just pull those up. Um, but the idea I did have for this project would be like, you know, five, ten pages of rules and optional rules. Very, very small rules. Uh, and then a basic version, either maybe put them on postcards and have a set of really cool-looking postcards of weird places. Like, the idea is made to make this more of an art project than a game project. Because the idea for me was like, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to make a game that is, here's this fuck-all 500-page book, or here's this... Uh, series of books that this is the one game you play for 10 years because people won't do that for the most part because they're, if they're, if they're going to do that, they're going to play Pathfinder or D&D. Um, I want a game that looks really cool. You can play it and enjoy it and then look through the art and be like, ah, and then just look browse through the book later on or give it away to a friend or something like that. Like a game that you can totally consume and move on because, I mean, that's, I think, one of the reasons why video games are so dominant now is because most games you play, you can, you can beat in six hours and move on and get on with your life. I mean, there's, there's two types. There's the game that you spend 10,000 hours on or a thousand hours on. And then there's a game you spend five hours on and people find value in both. And I think tabletop games are maybe a little too focused on the thousand hour model, mm-hmm. uh, and should focus more on the five hour thing. Because I mean, look at, look how popular fiasco is and like how, how so many people love the quiet year, you know? Um, so that's where I'm at with that. Pro- I think I'm going to upload it. The, uh, the beta rules or the alpha rules that I have and the play test, 
that I did with the RPPR people uh, for $10 backers on the Patreon. Uh, so they get first look at it. Uh, and then when it revises, I'll, I'll make a pub beta, a public beta thing later on. Um, you know, I was struck, I don't want to yeah. interrupt, but I was sure. struck as you were talking about that playtest you did of it. Uh, in a recent podcast, you guys were talking about games and games. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a really good oh, yeah, way. It's a good, like, yeah. The players are going to move from this yeah. part of the, the setting to this part of the setting. You could actually, you know, as long as everyone's mm -hmm. aware that it needed to be in keeping with the tone yeah. of the campaign, that'd be a great way to um, sort of yeah. give a montage sense of mm -hmm. the traveling. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, or like, who is the strange person who shows up? Well, let's flash back and find out who this person is. How they got so, here or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, cool. uh, that that's a good point. Um, yeah, kind of like how you do with Quiet Eerie to like create like, well, we'll play apocalypse apocalypse world, but let's find out mm -hmm. how this world is apocalyptic uh, and kind of go from there. Well, that's so. interesting too. You just gave yeah. me another idea. You could yeah. play this backwards. Oh yeah, which would just be fun, right? Yeah. Like, this person, this is where we are, and this is where we finished. Yeah. How did this person get here? Oh, where were they were before? Do iterations of yeah. like, how did they end up with a broken leg? And, yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah see, there's a it's it's a very basic sort of storytelling format. So there's a there's a lot of options, or the, I see there potentially being a lot of options. So it's, I think Matt now in terms of playtesting, it's more of like figuring out which options are the most fun you know like do we need to rotate roles ever or would, can one person be the traveler the entire time or something like that because because sometimes if someone new takes the role it's like all right pff, into space or no we're in a dinnings you know or something like that so yeah i've been i'm kind of jealous of you having done this i've been yeah. wanting to write a like a super short role mm -hmm. playing game for a while like are you familiar with bite or no bitten I think it's called Bitten. Um, hmm. Might be Bite. I forget now. It was on Kickstarter. Just the thing just closed. Um, mm. The idea is that you've. It's about. Five, it's called a five-minute role-playing game. Yeah. You and a friend have just barricaded yourself in a basement after fighting your way through the zombie horde. Yeah. And one of you might be bitten. Ooh. So it's this like across the table, and there's one gun, and there's like this yeah. tension across the table, and there's cards <laughs> that you play to like build the tension. And yeah, um, I know bully public games. People do fiasco. I mm -hmm. think uh, they did another game. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like you're all Reservoir Dog kind of gangsters, and you've just pulled out a heist, and like one of you's bleeding out, one of you's got the loot, one of you betrayed mm -hmm. you, and then you like it's got very specific roles. It's some. It's, it's it sounds like a, like a fiasco uh, playset that's yeah. already halfway. But you're through, like yeah. you're supposed to play it in a car. Like you're supposed okay, to go perfect. sit in a car and then <laughs> that's awesome. th then play it. Be good for road trips. Uh, yeah, no, it would be good for road trips. And there's, a, but it's like the kind of game you can you, any given group could only play once because like everyone has a pre-printed sheet with like here's right. how the, this is your character. Well, there, the, yeah. there you go. That's the one you're talking about. Like yeah, five hour or less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of value in doing storytelling games or in, not even necessarily role playing games that you play only a limited number of times uh, instead of assuming that you're going to play. Forever and are the the toolkit thing. Uh, well, I'm terrible with names, but there's another one that yeah. I read about recently. These, your your uh, friend or lover or, mm -hmm. or someone important to you has fallen over a, a precipice and you're holding on, <laughs> and so you're face to face and you're supposed to hold the person's yeah, hands yeah. as you play the game. Wow! And then there's these sort of starting point and you are basically having your last conversation and there's a chance. It's almost more like an acting exercise. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really does sound like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it though. Uh, yeah, there's so a whole there's, series of these little ones like that that are just awesome. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, the whole there's a lot of interesting boundaries that can be done. Um, and that's sort of what I'm thinking in game design uh, as I am working on several other games at the moment. But once I get all that stuff done, then I'll start working on my own games. Uh, so there's no update on Ruin. Like, it's just... 
I need to get through this mountain of work first. Uh, not that I'm very, I, I love doing this work, uh, but Ruin, I don't want to rush either. So I have ideas for it. And then Ruin is also the kind of game, I, I, I have the idea for Ruin is like you do play it more than once. But like a video game that you've beaten and you play again, because that's really popular. So like there would be a new game plus mode, you know, like you know the rules or you think you do uh, and you totally fucked it up first so time. here's the next layer. Yeah, here's the next layer. So there's all these secrets and that will be in the game. So it's all designed to be – it's like a campaign and a game. It's like one specific iteration. Um, so it's only supposed to be played like two or three times, or maybe you play it more than one. Maybe you want to be a completionist and get every single ending of it. So like, that's the idea with Ruin now more than ever is that it's it's a specific instance, a specific place and time, um, and you're playing it through several iterations, or at least one iteration. Maybe you're satisfied with. Well, the description you used a minute yeah. ago was it was it would be consumable at some level. Yeah. It's consuming. it's not it's not it's not a toolkit game. You can't run it for anything other than the sleepy in hotel, you know, that's been pulled outside of time and space. Bad things happen. Uh but yeah, once you've solved those mysteries or you've you've you're satisfied, you just put it down and play something else. But yeah. But that's what people do with video games. I mean, and that that's I think Tabletop video games learn from tabletop games, but I think tabletop games can learn from video games too. Um, not just in terms of mechanics, but just in terms of storytelling. The way people use them. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's where I'm at uh, with that. Uh, we'll I'll maybe get Caleb on for another segment to talk about Red Markets. Uh, he's been updating it on Kickstarter, so you can check the Kickstarter updates. It's in editing right now and layout. So hopefully, but it'll be here before the end of the year is the idea. So. Um, but yeah, uh, that's about it. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Thank you.